What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Financial Residency Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. And if you are new to our podcast and our community, welcome aboard. Make sure you subscribe to our show and join our community at financialresidency.com slash community. For those of you who've been around for a long time, thank you so much. This wouldn't be anything without all of you. And I'm so thrilled to have all of you here learning all about personal finance. Now, we know that COVID-19 has brought a ton of changes from PPP and business loans and pushing back tax deadlines. There's just a ton of things to process, especially with the tax piece. It's a super complicated subject. It's tough to navigate on your own, especially if you've decided to do taxes on your own. Now, physicians can look for better ways to manage their tax information from tracking expenses and using the dreaded spreadsheets to purchasing one-size-fits-all tax planning software. And many of those tax software programs that are on the market promote their ability to benefit users by helping them minimize their tax burden. And they're claiming that they help break down the complicated, complex IRS tax codes and use their projection modeling. They even apply some standard guidance. But the biggest drawback with using these off-the-shelf tax softwares is the lack of customization that an in-person tax professional can give. And that doesn't have to be the case anymore. You've trusted me, Casey, and our team to handle a lot of your financial planning needs but now you can trust us to handle your tax planning and prep needs through our new company, Physician Tax Advisors, that can be found at physiciantaxadvisors.com. So I've mentioned the last show that we've had that the month of August is all about tax. We're going to be talking all about the tax topics that concern physicians and what you need to know. And for the whole month, we have John McCarthy, our CPA, one of our CPAs at Physician Tax Advisors, who's a co-founder with us, I love John. He's super smart. And he's got the insight that you need to make the best decisions around your taxes, honestly, year round. So let's jump right into it with John McCarthy from Physician Tax Advisors. We've got John back on the show going over another big issue that we typically see with early career physicians. So John, welcome back. Excited to have you here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Well, this is going to be super fun because we just had a boatload of new residents and fellows that just finished training and they likely have moved to a different state. And so one of the biggest questions I get asked is like, um, what do I do with my tax situation now that I've worked in one state and now I'm in another state earning income? Do I pay multiple taxes? Like the can of worms just starts to unravel and open. You're like, "Uh oh, hold on. Let's take this one at a time. So for those that have maybe are in this situation, where would they start? Yeah, so first you're always going to want to look at the states that you are a resident in during the year. And if you've earned income in any state, there is a chance that you have a filing requirement there, subject to a couple of different items that we can talk about here in a little bit. But you know, unless you're in one of the uh, about a half a dozen or seven states, I think, that don't have an income tax, you're going to look to see what the filing requirements are for that state. You mentioned resident. You know, if someone was to do work when they weren't a resident, or what if it was one of the states like that, you know, the town borders the two states? Like, how does necessarily that affect this piece before we kind of dig deeper? Yeah, it's an important consideration. So, you know, there's a concept of a resident or non resident that we have to pay attention to when we're talking about taxes. If you're a resident in a state, that means you're residing there as your primary residence. And in general, you're always going to have a filing requirement in that state 
for the privilege of living there. The state is going to want to return from you. But the important thing to remember is that, you know, if you're working across state lines, you potentially have another filing requirement for where you work. I mean, that's because both states like to kind of fight over the revenue for your income. So you have to follow the rules in both states. And we'll get into some specifics, I'm sure, here later in the conversation about how that might work. But those are kind of the general thoughts. Yeah. So one of those things, so let's stick with the residents. So they just finished, they were W-2, they were you know finishing training. Now they're off being an attending. Whether they're 1099 income or W-2 income, does that change at all how the states will view their income or who's going to, you know, essentially fight over it. Because guys, the states are broke, FYI, and they all want money, just like our government. So they're all going to fight over who who gets your revenue off of your income, right? Does that differ at all? Or how does one approach that if they're in that case? Yeah. So the first thing you're going to look for when you're working across state lines is whether the states play nicely together. And we have a technical term for that, which is reciprocity. So some states, like your my home state of Ohio, they have a reciprocity agreement with Kentucky. So if I were to go across state lines and go over and work in Kentucky for an employer, I don't have to have any Kentucky tax withheld. I don't have any filing requirements with Kentucky, and I can just file here in Ohio and have Ohio withholding taken out. So you know there are a number of states that have that friendly kind of handshake agreement that makes things a little bit easier for employees. And then there's states like California and Nevada who basically hate each other because one has no state tax and everyone wants to leave California to, quote unquote, reside in Nevada. There's a whole big can of worms there we don't need to go into. But there's the other side of the equation. When there's states that aren't going to play nice, one state is extremely greedy and wastes a bunch of money. But you pay this nice sunshine. I'm not bitter at all, John. (laughs) I'm bitter at all. This is why I get asked a lot. Do you get double taxed if you're working in one state and they don't play nice? Generally, the answer to that is no. There are some really narrow exceptions with some states. I think Connecticut does not play well at all with others, and you can potentially end up with some double tax there. But in general, what we find is that states have some mechanism to make sure that you're not being taxed on the same income twice. Now, there are different methods of doing that. Sometimes we'll only allocate, you know, income earned in that one state to that state. Sometimes there is some mechanism of a state credit that we can apply against your taxable income. So there's all kinds of different methods of doing it. So it really depends on which state that you're in. But the overarching theme is no, you shouldn't, you know, generally get taxed on the income twice. Now, of course, one state may have a higher rate than the other. California. Yeah, in California, you're going to end up paying whatever the California rate is. So you're not going to get out of that. We get beat up so bad. Well, I think one of the things we should have probably started off, John, by saying is that your federal taxes are unchanged. It doesn't matter what state. As long as it's in the United States, you're still going to file a 1040. They don't care how it works between states, right? W-2, you're self-employed, doesn't matter. You're going to do a federal return. It really, truly doesn't matter if you're in Nevada, California, Wyoming, Washington, wherever. But if you're in you know, one state and you decide to work in another state and not reside in it, there's all sorts of issues that kind of come up. So what are some of the things that new attendings should be aware of or even people that are doing locums work, right? I live in California. Let's actually use Taylor as a great example. We've worked through this. You know, When we finished training, we moved to Nevada. And while she was there, she ended up doing some locums work, not only in Nevada, but you remember she did the Fresno work 
up there at Valley Children's and now was having some income in California. And we had to walk through the tax implications of doing that to make sure it was worth it. So in that case, why don't you, I mean, you can use this as an example. We don't mind. If you live in, let's say, Nevada and you were working in California, like, what do we need to pay attention to? What are the questions we should be asking, you know, our CPA, which was you, right? What should we have been asking you and how should we have ran that analysis? Yeah. So the important thing to keep in mind, you know, especially in this example where we don't have any state income tax in the resident state, is that we know we're going to have some tax liability in the state where the work is being done. So in this case, California. So, you know, one of the things we see often that, you know, locums workers may run into is not realizing some of that state tax impact in the local city, especially if they happen to be a 1099 and the employer isn't withholding any tax for them. You know, we've got a couple considerations there that we want to be aware of. First of all, that there is going to be a tax return filing requirement, you know, in California in this case. But also, you know, there might be some estimated tax payment that we need to be thinking about making. I want to interrupt you really quick because I don't want anyone to be caught off guard with what does he mean by estimated? And now they're trying to Google it as you're still talking. So we'll stop it here for a second. Tell everyone what estimated taxes are and why you're essentially having to pay in for those or potentially, I should say, be paying in for those. Yeah. So estimated taxes are kind of, you know, another way for the governmental entities to receive income based you know, on your wages or your earnings. So you think of a W-2 worker, you know, the employer is withholding those taxes from your paycheck and you get the net paycheck, you know, at the end of the two week period. So that makes it easy. You know, you don't have anything to worry about on your side because your employer is actually sending that money over to the state. For folks that are self-employed, though, you know, none of that happens because you're the employer and the employee all in one. So you have to take that into account as you're earning that income, that some of that money will be due to the state where you're working. And estimated payments are the mechanism in order to, to get that money over to the government. And there basically there's a requirement that you would need estimated payment penalties. And so that'll hopefully keep you out of trouble there. There's some more technical guidelines on, you know, how much you have to pay in. And there's, a, you know, 90%, 100% rules that we could get into a little bit more detail. But the key is just make sure that you know that you have, you know, some payments that you might need to make there and then be aware of this. I think if we go in more detail, it will just be you and I left listening and talking to this. I don't think anyone wants to hear like crazy amounts of detail. But again, hey, if you're already emailing me, tell me if you want to hear more detail as we go through tax specific things. So as an independent contractor, let's say that you know we use the example with Taylor being in Nevada and then going to California. Let's say we were actually in Arizona where the state does have state tax. Now you're an independent contractor earning income in multiple states. How does that look? How does that work? So you'll generally have a non-resident filing requirement for the state in which you might be working but not living. And you're going to pay some tax liability for income earned in that state. And then in your resident state, you're still going to file a resident return like you would, you know, regardless of where you might be working. And generally, you're going to get a credit for the non-resident state against your resident state taxes. So once again, the idea is that you're not getting doubly taxed on the same income, but you do have a filing requirement in both states. Is there a benefit if you're an independent contractor versus W-2, like working in multiple states or having earned income in multiple states? Generally, income is income. So I would say, you know, whether you're self-employed or W-2, you know, you're still going to have the same type of filing requirements either way. So there's not necessarily much of a benefit either way. Yeah. I mean, well, there's obviously benefits on being, you know, W-2, you know, maybe job security, whatever, but there's benefits from a tax standpoint. 
if you are an independent contractor on things like we talked about last week that you could write off in your home, your phone, and all the other good stuff. Now, COVID has changed a lot, right? And some of the things have changed for the better. I'd say very few things. And obviously things have changed that we're hoping that aren't permanent, right? But working remotely, I think, is now here to stay. Like being an advisor that works remotely with you know physicians all across the country, my whole team is also remote. Like my partner Casey's in Connecticut, right? And we've got Michael in Wisconsin and Carla in Connecticut and Dan and Jackie and myself here in San Diego. So, you know, we've already worked remotely and this hasn't been an issue, but there's a lot of firms and a lot of practices and telemedicine and all these things are changing so rapidly. How does working remotely, especially knowing that all the states are freaking broke, right? How does this factor into the taxes? Do we have guidance? Like, what are your thoughts? I mean, you have 20 years plus of experience, not to date you, sorry, but (laughs) I think it's really important for everyone to know, though, like, you're really smart with this stuff. You've done this for decades. Like, what do you see and how do you see this? Because we've had these offline conversations around that. So maybe let's summarize in five minutes. How is working remotely going to change all of this? It definitely is going to change the landscape from a tax perspective. And we're just now starting to see the beginnings of that. You know, one of the nice things, I guess, about being in tax is that, you know, things do move slowly, you know, in some ways. But when you're talking about tax law changes and you're talking about something that has evolved as quickly as the COVID situation has and telecommuting, you know, the tax laws just haven't caught up yet. And it's going to be a while until we get there. I mean, is the IRS even opening mail at this point? Slowly. I know I put in for an EIN to do some stuff. Like, stuff takes forever. You know, what I do know about the situation is that some of our more aggressive states and, you know, once again, talking about your friend, California here, Ryan, uh, as well as New York. My quote unquote friend. (laughs) I love it here, but from a tax standpoint, it's brutal. These states tend to be fairly aggressive. And what we're seeing, I think, you know, overall right now is a move out of these states for a number of reasons. You know, the high cost of living coupled with the ability to telecommute coupled with the COVID crisis that, of course, have hit New York you know, quite hard and, and starting to hit California and Texas and some of our other larger states now. You know, what we're seeing is a lot of people fleeing those states for other perhaps more comfortable locations with lower taxes. You know, the states are obviously going to take notice of this. You know, California and New York are not going to take that standing down. So we're going to see something from an aggressive standpoint you know, regarding this. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but I can tell you that California and New York are going to be looking for revenue. They're probably going to start with employers and challenging whether these people, you know, really truly need to be working out of state or whether it's a convenience for the employee. And New York has already taken this position in the past with telecommuters that if you're working out of state just because of your own convenience as an employee, they may require New York tax, even if you never set foot in the state that year. So New York, they've been aggressive with this, and I would expect them to continue. You know, I think California will follow suit in some form or another. So it's something we're going to have to watch. And it's going to be a big issue for this next tax year in 2020 for folks that have moved around. You know, I know as a practice owner and doing hundreds of clients' returns, it's something we're going to have to actively ask our clients this year. I know your mailing address is so-and-so, but where were you all year? You know, who are you really in the state? Because we're going to have to take this into account as we prepare returns this year. And what about with like telemedicine? Something that, I mean, has really gained a crap ton of popularity, to be honest, you know, due to COVID. 
you know, if you're seeing patients in all sorts of different states, you're in, let's say, California, is it something where other states are going to try to pull revenue because that's where a patient was or that's where it was headquartered? Say it was you're doing medicine through a specific company, let's say it's in Ohio. How are they going to overreach those places? And could this actually come into a double tax situation? I mean, if everyone takes what New York has done and said, hey, even though you didn't step foot in here and you're doing this on your own convenience, we're still taxing you. Well, what if you lived in California and they're like, oh, yeah, well, we're taxing you because this is where you were. How are we going to juggle that? Yeah, it's going to be interesting because I can see states either wanting to tax you in your resident state, which is a little easier to deal with, right? We're used to that. But, you know, if your practice is located in another state, and you happen to go you know, move back home to you know, a different state. That could be where the issues start to crop up you know, where we might have a filing requirement, where our doctor's office is, even if we're not there, you know, if we're not reporting to work. So, you know, whether we'll get into some kind of sourcing rules around you saw a patient in Washington today and an Oregon one the next day, I don't think we'll quite get there because the states really don't want to deal with, I don't think, that level of reporting requirements. But, you know, we could certainly find situations where your workplace and home cities are in different states where we have some competing tax regulations. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like if we continue down this road, COVID gets worse. We're recording this towards the end of July here. You know, if it gets continually worse, they might look at it and say, well, where was the largest percentage of your patients, you know, residing that you were giving that work? I mean, oh, it was in California. Hmm. They might be trying to come after some of that stuff. So obviously we don't know what's happening. There's no tax laws or regulations or any hints, really. I mean, no one's has just this. They're still trying to open up mail and figure out what happened in 2019, to be honest. Do we see any other, I know this is a, you know, a little different than earning income in the States, but do we see any kind of big, massive issues that maybe listeners should be thinking of in 2020 for their 2020 returns, like some proactive planning? Because I know one of the big pitches of why you and I and Kesey have teamed up to work in the physician tax advisors space is because almost every accountant that is doing returns is preparing them retroactively. Like they're trying to figure it out. You give them like all your documentation in February or March and they figure out like, well, what did happen? Whereas proactively, we're trying to say, how can we alter and fix and lower the tax liability you have ahead of time? So we're airing this in August. Is there anything in the last four months of the year that maybe they could do to think more proactively on their tax management so they stop paying Uncle Sam so much money? I think the key here is going to be to see you know, what other levels of stimulus that passed between now and the end of the year. You know, as we record this, we know Congress is already debating about the next round of stimulus. And, you know, some of the things that come out of these packages, especially for our self-employed listeners, that you know, could be potentially really impactful here in the last couple of months of the year. So, you know, I would say, you know, continue to listen to that as much as much fun as it is to listen to uh, Congress argue about tax law. Uh, you know, there may be some things in there that especially, you know, for small business owners, like I mentioned, that, you know, we'll want to keep track of between now and the end of the year. So, you know, I would say that's probably the number one thing that I'm looking at as a tax advisor and just staying up with that stuff on a day to day basis, because, you know, I see a lot of value in that for our clients. Yeah, between PPP funding, EIDL, all that stuff. The actual, you know, payments they were sending everyone that twelve hundred bucks, and obviously we're not going into like the six hundred a week in unemployment that stuff. Although that exists, like if that is you and you're in that unfortunate situation, like there still is some remaining. I think it is ending up here pretty soon, but there's going to be another round. We know that's coming, 
and we don't know actually what the tax dates are going to be next year. Probably going to be fluid, if you will, because I mean, we have filed till July 15th, obviously have extensions, but who knows if it'll be April next year, April 2021, if everything's due. Have you heard anything? I have not heard anything more on the due dates yet you know, this year. My suspicion is that it's now kind of off of everybody's radar and that we won't pick that discussion up again until probably uh, January of next year and see how things are at, at that point. Probably like the end of March. Uh, JK, we, do, we can't take all your returns. We're still trying to figure out what happened in 2020. <laughs> well, John, thank you so much for coming back on for our month of tax. And we've got you know, a couple more shows that are, I think, actually really exciting. It's hard to make tax fun, everyone. like. I promise you we are trying to make this stuff fun and impactful for you so you can get, you know, 20, 30 minutes of knowledge on tax that will be as much value as we possibly can hit you with. So, John, thanks for coming on and we'll see you next week. Thanks. I appreciate it. All right. Well, hopefully that was helpful. Hopefully you learned a few things. Not everyone has earned income in multiple states, but definitely the residents that are moving around throughout the country right now are going to have a lot of tax issues for 2020. There's lots of things around telemedicine that's going to cause some issues and people working from home. 2020 is going to be a mess for taxes. So it's going to be tough. You can still do it on your own if you want to, but we are here to help you now officially. You can find us. The waitlist is up and going at physiciantaxadvisors.com. We are not going to open it up to thousands of people all at once. That would be way too overwhelming. So we're going to take a very select few that we actually launched 2020 with because we anticipate that there's going to be some tax changes. There's going to be lots of issues around 2020 taxes that are going to be quite complicated. So we don't want to overextend ourselves. So hopefully we will see you on the other side in the Physician Tax Advisors. Now remember that this show is for educational purposes only. Please do not treat this as specific tax or financial planning advice. Unless you're our client, then that's completely different. The majority of you, this is not actual advice. This is entertainment purposes only. Please reach out to your CPA, your financial planner, or your attorney for specific advice, just someone who knows your situation. I think that should apply to everything on the internet, but this is how it goes. So hopefully this was enjoyable. We will have a great show for you on Friday when I bring Casey on talking about our financial health assessments. For those of you in our community, we're really excited to keep doing those. It's actually picked up a lot of momentum during COVID and everyone's got lots of things and questions that they want answers on. So we're happy to do those. You can always call in and question at financialresidency.com slash question or check us out at physicianwellservices.com if you're looking for a financial planner. Have a great week, everyone. See you on Friday. Cheers. Cheers.